The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. Welcome to The Formed Book Club. We continue to discuss the drama of atheist humanism by Andrew Bach. We've covered the first two parts of this book, which are Nietzsche, Feuerbach, Marx, and Kant, uh, in which the Lubach shows what happens when you leave God out of your philosophy uh, and when you leave God out of society. But he says in the 19th century, there was no substantial response to these 19th century thinkers, except one, and that was Fyodor Dostoevsky, whom we will now cover. Joseph, take it away. Well, yes. So basically, this is typical de Lubac. He actually begins by allowing the devil his due. He, he gives all of these uh, negative uh, views of uh, Dostoevsky and his works, such as Crime and Punishment, the brothers Karamazov. Uh, but to me, it doesn't really get going until the devil's got out of the way. And we get de Lubac speaking on Dostoevsky, which is brilliant. And de Lubac comparing and contrasting Dostoevsky with Nietzsche, which is even more brilliant. And for me, this has been the most enjoyable part of the book so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first thing I have is page 273. But So if anybody beats that. Go ahead. Well, so the, the first full paragraph on that page. Um, but all this leads to the suspicion that even when Dostoevsky stands revealed as a genius, he has not yet been understood. So you know, mm-hmm. at least the devil doesn't understand Dostoevsky, basically. Um in an entirely different domain that he is exploring, the domain of the spirit. So he's, he's transcending mere humanity. Looking into and through a formidable unconscious, he catches a glimpse of a mysterious beyond. So going into the psychology, the unconscious, and the power of human psychology, he glimpses something beyond the merely human, the mysterious, which, 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 which it leads to. Um, and then the top of page 274, they call me a psychologist, he said, that word already coming into his, his own self-criticism. But it is not true. I am a realist mm-hmm. in the highest sense of the term. That is to say, I show the depths of the human soul. And as Dulubak says, in other words, he is, in his own way, a metaphysician. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the reason why he can show the depths of the human soul so convincingly in his fiction is because everywhere he takes the reader, he has already been himself. He hasn't committed murder like Raskolnikov, but he's seen into the darkness of soul that could do such an act. Right. And he's probably committed, committed murder in his heart without necessarily yes, putting Yes, and so this is why it's just... Oh, my goodness. Reading Dostoevsky is like taking a smelling salt, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and the role of, the role of uh, you know, being in Chesterton, it sort of almost seems like a whimsical uh, imposition when we're looking at something as, as, perhaps as dark as Dostoevsky. But, uh, you know, six so lines down where it just was on page 274, we talk about um, because he's a novelist and he, and he brings out this metaphysics in terms of story, right? He, there's that spiritual adventure to which he summons us. You know, mm-hmm. we know Justin's famous line from the from the um, his essay on running after one's hat, uh, and 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 uh, an adventure is an inconvenience rightly considered. Well, what's an inconvenience? It's suffering, 
right? In yes. other words, not being able to do what we want is things be happening to us, being imposed upon us, which we'd rather not happen. That's an inconvenience. That's right. So but that's exactly what Dostoevsky does, right? It's, it's, it's looking at the spiritual adventure, uh, which the inconvenience of suffering causes. That's right. And because he has taken this adventure himself and gone to the very pit, guess who he found in the pit already there waiting for him? He found Jesus. Yeah. He has an encounter with Jesus. And then everything, I won't say everything changes because he spends the rest of his life now you know, wrestling with God, like, like, like Jacob, Jacob you know, or in other words, it, it isn't like, oh, now everything's happy clappy and I don't need more problems, you know, but at least now he's sharing is those problems with Christ because Christ is sharing those, that burden with him. And yeah. that's what saves him. And now we see a glimpse. I'm going to say something, and I'm completely agreeing with you, but I'm going to say something which, which maybe uh, dovetails with it. Um, because I, I, I'm reminded with, with, in Dostoevsky with, of Charles Baudelaire, the, the French poet, you know, and, and he got as deep as it's possible to go, humanly speaking, possibly, into uh, exploring the, the depths and dregs of one's own ego, you know, one, one's own prideful psyche. And when he got to the bottom, he discovered the devil. Uh, the bottom of the pit discovered the devil, and then he recoils in horror towards the divine. And I think in Dostoevsky's both both are going on. I think you're completely correct. I think it, it, he he plums the depths of psychology and philosophy and finds Christ absolutely. But I also think we see this in some of his darker characters. You know, these people plumb the depths and basically find themselves uh, in alliance, in allegiance with the devil. Well, I guess you could say when you plumb the depths you get to make a decision about which one you're going to go with. Right, precisely. Yeah, what do I do now I'm here? <laughs> now I'm right. in this cell, what do I do, I'm, right? And I'm going to be sorely tempted, and, and, but I'm also going to be given this invitation of love. And what, which, which invitation am I going to answer, you know? Right. right. And here, Bach, this is a kind of a prelude to his actual chapter one here. But summing him up on page 275, new paragraph, he says, as the years go, this kind of sounds you just saying, as the years go by, Dostoevsky grows in stature. Mm -hmm. The novelist no longer seems merely a psychologist and a metaphysician. He has a look of a prophet. Yeah. And then the last few lines of the paragraph on 276, yes, Dostoevsky was a prophet because he not only revealed to man the depth that are in him, but open up fresh ones for him, giving him, as it were, a new dimension. Because in this way, he foreshadowed a new state of humanity. That is to say, he heralded it by giving a preview of it. Because in him, the crisis of our modern world was concentrated into a spearhead and reduced to its quintessence. And because there is the vital adumbration of a solution there, a light-fringed cloud for our present journey through the wilderness. So a light fringed cloud. So there's darkness there. Mm -hmm. He's showing that, but there's got a, a halo limbus of light there as it leads us on. Yeah, and also, again, that's that's brilliant prose. Uh, you know, he just, he, I mean, and especially bearing in mind it's in translation. Yes. Uh, just, a, just a great, a great, great writer. I mean, just blown away uh, by this. And it's almost what he's saying here is that in Dostoevsky, we get a distillation 
you know, of, of all uh, of what's going on in, in modern humanism and modern culture. Somehow he distills it all into the purest spirit, which is why his novels are so compact and dense, right? Because there's so much going on in there. That's true. But when you think of distillation, you think of something which shrinks and shrinks and is very small. He distills it into 500 pages at a time, you know. Right. <laughs> it's true. Right. But, but <laughs> when you think about it, like the Brothers Karamazov, you read that and Yes, it's a long book with lots of names. You can't remember who, who everyone is here, pronounce their names. And the same person has several names. That makes it confusing. Now, as you step back, though, it's been distilled. I mean, you kind of have this quintessence, as he says here, of, of what is in the human soul. Mm-hmm. All right, chapter one, Joseph? Yes, well, this is when, this is when we really get uh, to grips with things, literally, because he has... Uh, if you like, Dostoevsky wrestling with Nietzsche uh, mm-hmm. and uh, coming out on top, basically. So uh, I, I've got the, the. Can I just read the opening paragraph? So the subheading of, of chapter one is Hostile Brothers. So, you know, so that Nietzsche and Dostoevsky have a great deal in common. They, in some sense, are kindred spirits, and yet mm-hmm. ultimately they are uh, in, in, in sort of basic hostility towards each other. So we are reminded. We are immediately reminded of another prophet, of the other prophet of our times, Nietzsche. The comparison is inevitable. Everything suggested, especially the grim contest that is now in progress in the human mind under their combined and contrasted constellations. What is at stake in the drama we are watching and in which we are all actors is the victory of Nietzsche or of Dostoevsky, and the outcome of the struggle would decide which of them was, in the fullest sense of the word, a prophet. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, yeah brilliant and uh, sets up the rest of the chapter. So you've got um, two I'm men. That's now 279, so I'm making way. You've got two men struggling with the same things. What, one thing I love about Delubach's mm-hmm. treatment of the men that he. Uh, explores is that he sympathizes with them he sympathize he goes into their minds and sympathizes with what they see and how they think and he's not just attacking not at all and yet going into both the tortured minds of both of these tortured men because Dostoevsky lived a tortured life and yet one comes out on this side and one comes they both went in they fought the same struggle like they had a cage fight you know <laughs> And both of them came out on different sides. Yeah. And now when you read their works, you are given the same opportunity to make a choice. And Delubach respects this choice. And what we're up against with all these tyrannical movements are people who precisely want to take away from you your freedom because they don't trust that they, the outcome will be assured. Amen, sister. Joseph, 279, you have something? Yeah, I, 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 I do have something, and I, well, if, if you're going to let me, I'm going to be, be indulgent. I hope to not self-indulgent, because, again, the prose is brilliant, and it really sets, sets, sets up that struggle. So I'm going to read the first 15 or so lines of that paragraph. From the very outset, it is impossible not to be struck by the similarity of the judgments they pronounce on their age. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is the same criticism of Western rationalism and humanism, the same condemnation of the ideology of progress, the same impatience 
with the reign of scientism and the foolishly idyllic prospects it opened up for so many. The same disdain of the a wholly superficial civilization from which they both removed the gloss. Mm -hmm. The same foreboding of the catastrophe that should soon engulf it. Nietzsche rebels against idealism and morality. Dostoevsky attacks what he calls Genovese ideas, which come to much the same thing. Both predict the vengeance of the irrational elements that the modern world tramples underfoot, but does not succeed in rooting out. They call down that vengeance, even mm -hmm. at the cost of the most dreadful cataclysms. A will to destruction is apparent in both, and the iconoclastic hammer of the German thinker plays much the same part as the apocalyptic visions of the Russian dreamer. So again, marvellous prose. But what's interesting here, or well, it's lost, it's interesting here, but it's clear to me that the Lubag is also in that litany, sympathising with both Nietzsche and Dostoevsky. You know, this, these are the, the, the things that are wrong with modernity. And Nietzsche sees it, and Dostoevsky sees it, and de Lubach sees it. So the Catholic, the Orthodox, uh, and the well, the Nietzschean. <laughs> um, but but basically, they 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 come to different conclusions about how you respond and react to it. That's right. Yes, and it, I mean, what are we doing here, we mortals? De Lubach gives us the opportunity to enter into these great minds, even if they're great distorted minds or great minds that go off in their own direction, they're, they're geniuses. They're, they are they're tremendous minds. And we who, you know, are eating our meat and potatoes and cleaning out the bathroom, whatever, we're able to kind of enter in there and kind of experience this vicariously and, and understand more about what's around us because of that. Mm -hmm. To me, I mean... This is sort of like a philosophy class made in heaven to have the Lubach taking us through these philosophers, particularly, I mean, Nietzsche versus Dostoevsky now, I mean, in the presence of the Lubach, I mean, I just want to sort of, well, I am awestruck. Yeah. All right, onward. The other thing that I was awestruck by on 281, he's mentioned, uh, the Lubach is mentioning Raskolnikov. This is Dostoevsky's character who tests this, uh, Superman, uh, I'm going to make up my own morality and to prove that I can do it, I'm going to kill, I'm going to murder a woman with impunity and not even feel a pang of remorse. Well, those of you who've read the novel know what happens. But the point is, is that when I read here on the middle of 281, Raskolnikov cursing this devil's good reveals an audacity in every way similar to that of the despiser of morality, that will to power, before Nietzsche glorified it. I was under the false impression that Dostoevsky is responding with Raskolnikov directly to something already in Nietzsche, already that has come to full flower in Nietzsche. And it turns out Dostoevsky has anticipated where Nietzsche and men like him are going to go. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and that's actually clear later on as well that Nietzsche uh, uh, initially admires Dostoevsky because he misreads the book. Exactly. <laughs> he doesn't really understand Dostoevsky, but when he does, of course, he 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 reacts against him. But at first, you know, he's actually uh, he's seduced by Dostoevsky. Yeah, he thinks he's found a kindred spirit, and in yep. a certain sense, yes, as has, the Lubach yeah. under has unfolded for us, he yeah. kind of has. Yeah. And yet, oh my goodness. 
father, do you have anything? I've got 283 next. Oh, well, to sum up that last thing on tape yeah. 282, the bottom of that incomplete graph, Dostoevsky was a Nietzschean ahead of Nietzsche. Okay, yeah. th this to me was a completely new. So we have thought about it's dangerous to call anybody a prophet. Uh, uh, certainly, you can perhaps do so with the wisdom of hindsight in retrospect. And I, I think we can say that Dostoevsky was a prophet of Nietzscheanism. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I interrupted you with that. Uh... No, no, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm jumping, wanted to jump ahead to 283. So if anybody has anything prior to that, they should speak up. No, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Well, I wanted to connect um, the four lines down on page 283 with the footnote um, uh, 29, uh, sorry, 20. Uh, Ivan and Stavrog Stavrogin are doubtless only too wide. Yes, quote, a man must be hidden if we are to be able to love him. As soon as he shows his face, love disappears. In other words, up to a point, you know, our public persona are all somewhat we're, wearing, we're all wearing masks up to a point. We don't walk around, you know, with all of our sins showing to everybody else, uh, you know. Um, and what St. Bernard says down here, so what's the saints say? St. Bernard says the same thing with less asperity. Quote, I know that perfect knowledge of either cannot be obtained in this life. Perhaps we ought not even to desire it. If in the heavenly mansions, knowledge indeed feeds love. Down here it may serve it an ill turn. But who can flatter himself that his heart is absolutely clean? Mm -hmm. Thus there would soon ensue both confusion for the one who is known and an unpleasant surprise for the one who knows. Only where there are no blemishes will there be happiness in knowing oneself. So we can only be happy in knowing ourselves when the blemishes are actually removed which is when we're in, in heaven. And, one, the uh, one thing I would say by way of a caveat, if I may, is that Jesus loves us in our ugliness and we are called to love each other in our ugliness. So there's a sense in which we are called to love each other, but then but there's also a sense in which we're quite pleased that the 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 the, the neighbour that, that we're commanded to love is not going to show us exactly how disgusting they are. <laughs> that they do keep... I mean, in some sense, we can see our clothes as a simple metaphor for, you know, our, our psyches, right? We do want the mask to be kept on. We don't That's want right. to see the darkest recesses of the sinful soul because we could not handle it, even if we know that we're as bad. So why do you think marriage is so hard? <laughs> right. right, exactly. Right? You know, yeah. as someone who uh, just celebrated my 39th wedding anniversary. <laughs> but here's the thing that's sort of missing here in that as you grow together in Christ, while it's true you're going deeper into self-knowledge and in the horror, really, of the truth of yourself and the truth of the other person you've promised to love till you die, but at the same time, you're also seeing grace working on that person and working on yourself. You're getting these glimmers of the, the glory that you're being drawn into. So it's not a – I mean, on one hand, Dostoevsky said somewhere, love, true love is truly a terrible thing. Meaning it's frightful when you are forced to love the person in all its reality. But by the same token, like you just said, that confidence that Jesus loves us, blemishes and all, and is purifying us and bringing us to this other state we can't even begin to imagine. And we start to see glimmers of that process at work. We're filled with hope and confidence that we really are getting there. Yeah. 
And I want to, if I if I may be permitted, a really bad literary pun based upon the fact that you have you 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 you've just celebrated your thirty ninth wedding anniversary. That that you you and your marriage are on the thirty nine steps to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Famous Hitchcock movie by that name, The Thirty Nine Steps. Well, was it John Buck, and I think was the novel. I think wasn't it? I think it was I'm John not Buck. sure. It was based on a novel. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Joseph. I, I I hope to stay on the staircase and not fall <laughs> off. You know, that's what banisters are for. Yes. Uh, I want to point out just a little subaltered feature here <clears throat> that it's a great blessing. I find that Dulibach will. Connect things. He connects now Dostoevsky with St. Bernard. Now, yes. How can you do that? Well, if you have this broad knowledge and culture he does, you can see the interconnections of all the, the history of thought. Uh, and then bottom of the page 223 there, mm-hmm. where Dostoevsky says, this is on the whole issue about whether you love someone or not. I declare that love for mankind is something completely inconceivable, incomprehensible, and even impossible without faith in the immortality of the human soul. Now, I think it has to be unpacked a bit, but this idea that there's something deeper in us, something transcendent, something that will last forever, something that can be purified. With that, you know, I often think about purgatory in this way, uh, because there's a lot of people I don't want to be with, and who don't want to be with me? <laughs> but w- whatever real defects they have with courage, and whatever is a defect in my viewing them yes. will be purged. Yes. Both sides are going to get purged. That's right. This is the beauty of that novel. We've mentioned it on this recording before, Till We Have Faces oh by C.S. Lewis. That's really what that's all about, yeah. right? That's exactly it. As Father was speaking then, there was that in that novel that popped into my head just as you said it, Vivian. So, uh, yeah. And also, just before that quote by Dostoevsky, just the prefix there um, uh, by De Lubac, you know, because he's just been talking about the various characters in in in, in Dostoevsky's novels mm-hmm. represent various aspects of this great mystery uh, of, of 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 human person. But he says, as for Dostoevsky in person, rather than in 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 the form of his characters, listen to his complete profession of faith. And then we, we just I declare that love for mankind, etc. So you know, this is when, if you like, um, you know, the man is telling you what he believes. You know, in the novels, you know. You've got to be very careful in the novel, you know, because, you know, what's being said, well, who's saying it and when are they saying it and why are they saying it and what's their motivation for saying it, right? So you can't just pluck, as people often do, one line from a work of literature and say this is the author's view, right? No, but who's saying it? I mean, I just I think I may have said here that, you know, that the, the, when um, uh, Sir Kenneth Clark in his series on civilization quotes the you know Macbeth saying that life is a tale told by an idiot signifying nothing as Shakespeare's position. Well hang on, this is Macbeth. He's just killed loads of people. He's psychotic. He's suicidal. You know, he's a he's a serial killer. How is that <laughs> Shakespeare's perspective? And yet I would say that these truly great artists, in a real way, they've tried on each of these pairs of shoes. Yeah. I mean, they, know, they, they, they manage to empathize and, and, yes. and even sympathize. Right? Yes. That's what the same thing is becoming. That's, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, this, on page 284, the new paragraph there, this sums up what you had said and quoted earlier, Vivian. Thus, in a sense, 
Dostoevsky did more than foreshadow and serve as a rough sketch for a successor. To put the matter succinctly, he forestalled Nietzsche. He overcame the temptation to which Nietzsche was to succumb. That's right. As you said. A few lines down, Dostoevsky, too, dispels comforting illusions and cruelly rends the veils that man ceaselessly weaves in order not to see himself as he really is. is. But unlike for Nietzsche, God is not for him one of those veils. That's right. 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 So, yeah, it's, it's, it's as if Nietzsche is, is uh, sorry, as if Dostoevsky's not the prophet of Nietzscheanism, he's the, actually the antidote. And so then the on, two, on 285, three lines down, again, the contrast, <clears throat> Nietzsche, in, in cursing our age, sees in it the heritage of the gospel, while Dostoevsky, cursing it just as vigorously, sees in it the result of denial of the gospel. There it is. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I set before you good and evil. Yes. Death and life. Choose life. Yep. Deuteronomy. And if I can, I, can I just read the concluding? Uh, uh, Once line? you do that, we'll conclude the session with that. Go ahead. Yeah. So just to clearize this set of uh, this section, uh, his novels are not theses. So again, this mm-hmm. is a difference between Dostoevsky and, and Nietzsche. Okay, although Nietzsche did use his imagine, literary imagination, his novels are not theses, and it is questions rather than answers that he offers us. Mm-hmm. Or rather, he is continually forcing us to reopen questions that peremptory answers claim to have settled once for all. Mm-hmm. Pro and contra fight it out in him. He shakes us out of our blissful tranquility. That is the foremost of the reasons why his testimony is valuable. He mm-hmm. forces us to rethink suppositions, presuppositions, prejudiced perspectives, ideologies, false philosophies. And now compare this with Kant. The science is settled. There's no more quite asking questions, certainly not philosophical or theological or metaphysical questions. That's chapters closed. Here are the answers. Move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how shallow Comte sound? Yeah. I mean, Comte sounds, sounds shallow beside Nietzsche, but he sounds yes. like a puddle behind, besides Dostoevsky. Yeah. Well, thanks all, and thank you, our listeners and viewers. Uh, please join us next week as we continue with the, the torment of God in Nietzsche. God bless you. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.